Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your love. Thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. And we thank you for the Christmas story that is contained in Matthew's Gospel and in Luke's Gospel. And we thank you for this amazing time of year of Advent as we think about the birth of Jesus Christ. It's it's amazing to think that God became a man, was born a baby in human flesh at Christmas. And Lord, I just pray that during this time you would be magnified, you would be glorified, you would be lifted up, that this would be a time that's fruitful for us as a church. And, and Lord, a time when you, you make us worshippers, better worshippers of you, Lord God. We know that you are worthy of all worship, and so we pray that you would help us and transform us during this time to your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. I think we just um, leave it and let's yeah, go. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your help. So, it is December. It is the season of Advent, a season of anticipation. And it's anticipation for Christians and non-Christians. All of us, perhaps, are anticipating five days of of being with members of our family and not having to social distance during those five days. Maybe we're anticipating presents and food. And although it's going to be weird this year and not quite perfect, there's still, in every single person, an anticipation of that moment, Christmas time. And, and, you know, we, we have Advent calendars, or, or some of us do anyway, where we anticipate Christmas Day, which is coming. So everyone is in this moment, this season of anticipation. But Christians in particular, this should be a moment of expectation and anticipation. Reading about the people in the Bible who were waiting with bated breath for the Saviour to come. And then angels start to appear and speaking of this Messiah who was to be born and the expectation levels are raised amongst those who are described in the first few chapters of Luke's Gospel. Now, I planned this series a long time ago for this season of Advent. And what we're going to do for the next um, three weeks is we're going to read and celebrate the songs of Advent. And I must admit, when we're approaching this month, I was thinking, is this right to do this at a time when it's difficult for us to sing and we're not allowed to gather it and sing out? Should I really be doing a series on the songs of Advent? But there are several songs that are spoken in Luke's Gospel, several moments in which Mary sings and Zechariah sings And uh, Simeon in the temple sings as well. And we're going to look at these songs because we can still sing at home. We can still worship at home. And we can still worship and mouth when we're here in church as well. So we're going to go into a, a series all about the songs of Advent, the songs of Christmas. And I feel that now, more than ever, we need to be worshippers. We need to be people who are prioritizing giving God glory and singing his praises. It's easy to become distracted and focus on other things. But as Christians, as those who've been rescued from sin and darkness into into life, an eternal everlasting life, I pray and hope we would be people who are singing God's praises, who are declaring the goodness and the greatness of our God. And I hope this series of in Advent will help us do that together, but also in, in our times at home as well. So, I'm going to read to us from Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 46 to 55. And we're going to read this, this song of Mary 
in the Christmas story. Um, so Mary has already been uh, met by Gabriel, the angel Gabriel. Gabriel has appeared and told her that she's going to give birth to the saviour of the world, Jesus Christ. And then she's gone to be with family, to be with her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth encourages Mary and and even says, the baby in my womb has leapt for joy when you've come into my presence. The, even the baby recognises that the baby Jesus in Mary is a significant, significant baby to be born. And so Mary responds to that encouragement with these amazing words. Luke 1, verses 46 to 55. Uh, the words, Gareth, should appear on the screen. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servants. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estates. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Amen. Thank you very much, Gareth. Really appreciate you serving us in this way. It's great. Um, to have the microphone back working. Even just in reading that passage, I hope your soul has been lifted to worship and rejoice in who God is and what he has done. That's what that song is about. Mary's just lifted in joy to worship who God is and all the great things he has done. And I want to bring two points into sharp focus from Mary's song in that passage. And and point one is this, magnifying and rejoicing. Magnifying and rejoicing. Mary begins in verses 46 and 47, her song, and she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Mary, when she begins to speak, or or as tradition states, she sings this out. Her purpose is to magnify God. That's what she says. My soul magnifies the Lord. Now, there's a great John Piper illustration that, that makes sense of this word magnify. See, if you get a magnifying glass, right, and you look at an ant, perhaps, through a magnifying glass, what you're doing is you're making something very, very small, bigger, so you can see it and have a look more closely at the details. That's what a magnifying glass does, but that's not what a telescope does. What a telescope does is magnify something that is far, far away, but is huge and massive and glorious. And what magnifying the Lord in our souls, it's more like a telescope than a magnifying glass. Because when you magnify the Lord, what you're doing is is seeing something, seeing God himself and seeing how big and mighty and glorious he is and trying to magnify him in a sense so you might see and perceive and understand 
just how big and glorious and mighty he is. You see, when you magnify the Lord, you're not taking something that's small and making it bigger so you can see it. You're taking something that's already huge, beyond our comprehension, and and just understanding just how big it is, even better, in your soul. That's what Mary's doing. She's not making God bigger. She's understanding just how big God is. And as she does that, God appears bigger in her soul, in her heart, and in her mind. Mary, in her soul, is perceiving just how big, just how magnificent, just how powerful, just how glorious God truly is. That's what worship is. That's what it's really about. It's about seeing and declaring truths that enlarge who God is in our hearts and in our souls. We see how glorious and how awesome he is. Everybody, and I mean everybody, in this room and watching online has a perception of God that is smaller than he really is. And therefore, we can spend our entire lives, even throughout eternity, magnifying God. In other words, learning more about who God is, understanding just how big he is, understanding just how glorious he is. And so I say to you this morning, your your perception of who God is is smaller than it could be. And so I pray and hope today that God would speak to you, that the Spirit would move in your heart, would move in your soul, and reveal just how big God truly is. We can spend eternity discovering and declaring the greatness of God such that our soul's vision of who God is grows and grows and grows and grows. Our vision of God is too small. It's actually where anxiety and worry stems from. A view of God that is too small. If we truly knew how much God loves us, How great his love. When we magnify the Lord, one part of God that we magnify is his love. And we see that God's love is is truly spectacular. We see that all the way through the Bible, that God's love is bigger. God's love for you is greater than you know and understand this morning. It's bigger. It's greater. In fact, Jesus loves you so much, he died on the cross for you. And that's something as Christians we kind of take for granted. We, we maybe we talk about it a lot on a Sunday, but we don't fully appreciate the great love that was shown as Jesus died in agony for us on the cross. So when we perceive how God, how big God is, we see how amazing his love for us is. And we also start to perceive that his power is unsurpassed. His purposes can never be thwarted. I've been teaching Um, in some of the commission material this week on Genesis chapter 1 and on the creation story. I mean, again, that's a story that we are familiar with as Christians often, but we often take for granted. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it magnificent that God simply spoke the universe into being? He said, let there be light, 
and there was light. And, there, and then he said, he said, let there be all the amazing things we see on earth, the sky and the sea and the dry land and vegetation sprouting forth from the land and sea creatures. The water in Genesis 1 teems with sea creatures and the birds of the air and the animals on the ground, everything that creeps, every creeping thing, God just simply spoke and created them. And then humanity as well, Adam and Eve and all of us, God spoke and we were created. Such is the power of God. His voice thunders. He he speaks and things come into being in an amazing way. Our God's power is magnificent. We were thinking actually as part of this training that I was doing about galaxies millions of light years away. Probably that humanity will, will never come into contact with, never really see. And yet God in his power, it was easy for him to speak those galaxies into being. And the fact that there are galaxies out there that we know nothing about speaks of just how glorious and great our God is. When we perceive how great God's love is, and how we perceive how great God's power is, our focus is drawn to him. And and suddenly our worries and anxieties will, will melt away. If you're struggling with worry at this time, and I know many people are, don't knuckle down and say, I must not worry, I must not worry, I must not have anxiety, I must not worry. Instead, magnify the Lord in your soul. Remind yourself of his great power. Remind yourself of his great love. And focus your attention upon him. And that will be balm to your soul, medicine to your spirit. It's what Mary's doing. Mary is in a period of her life when she might potentially be anxious. She's, she's been told that she's going to give birth to a baby boy, despite the fact she's a virgin. She's been told that the boy she's going to give birth to is, is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. She could be nervous. She could be anxious. And yet instead, on her lips, is this magnifying praise to God. Not only does magnifying the Lord help us with anxiety and worry, But there's also a relationship between magnifying the Lord and rejoicing. Do you see that in verse 46 and 47? Mary magnifies the Lord in verse 46. And I think consequently, in verse 47, her spirit rejoices in God, her Saviour. There's a relationship between soul and spirit in those verses, and there's a relationship between magnifying the Lord and rejoicing. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit. And so every human being has a soul and a spirit, and they're very closely connected. It's an amazing thing that the word of the Lord has the power to, to pierce that division. So we have a soul and we have a spirit and they're very closely connected and I'm not going to spend time going into the biblical theology of what soul and spirit is this morning but I just want to say you have a soul, you have a spirit, they're very closely connected and when your soul, your innermost being magnifies the Lord your spirit begins to rejoice in who God is especially that God is our saviour. 
This is one of the greatest wonders and the greatest gifts of being a Christian. To worship is not ultimately for God's good. God doesn't need or require our worship in a sense. To worship is good for us. Because when we magnify the Lord, it puts joy in our spirit. So worship is a gift that God gives to his followers. It is a wonderful thing to magnify the Lord because it brings joy to us in our spirits. And I hope you can see that in those verses. Magnifying in our souls brings joy in our spirits. If you show me a joyful person, I will show you one who worships the Lord, one who magnifies the Lord. There is a close relationship between how much time and focus you spend magnifying God and how joyful a person you will be in your lives. Do you want more joy in your life? Magnify the Lord. Focus on his greatness, his glory, his brilliance. And you will find great joy. Now specifically, Mary rejoices in God my Saviour. My spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, she says. The source, the place of Mary's joy is God himself. My joy is in God my Saviour. I'm rejoicing in God my Saviour. She's not finding joy outside of God. She's not finding joy in food or in Christmas decorations. or She's not finding joy in, in, in those things. She's, her joy is firmly placed in God her Saviour. And so therefore it makes complete sense that as she magnifies the Lord, as her perception of God's greatness grows, her joy would grow as well. If you do find joy in food... The more food you eat, the more pleasure you have in a day. You know, Christmas, one of the fun things of Christmas Day is eating lots of great food. And lots of us do enjoy food, and that's not a bad thing as long as we don't think, make it the main point of Christmas. But when we eat lots of food, we get more and more joy. And the more fatty, disgusting foods that we eat, the more joy we have. Apart from, at some point, we reach that limit, don't we? You know, Christmas afternoon stupor. I don't know whether you, you have this. It's normally when the Queen's speech comes on. And um, you're just like full of food and really sleepy and you couldn't eat another morsel. You couldn't eat anything at all. In other words, food has a, can bring you a certain amount of pleasure, but then you reach your limit. And actually, to eat anything would make you sick and feel terrible at that point. But what I'm trying to say is, if you love food, the more you eat, the more pleasure you get from food, in a sense, until there's limit. The same thing is true of God. If your joy is in God, the more you perceive and understand and magnify the Lord, the more God grows in your life and your understanding and vision of him, the more joy you will have in your life. That makes sense, doesn't it? As your perception of him grows, so your joy grows as well. And the great thing about God is you cannot exhaust the glories and the greatness of God. You don't get to that limit with God where you, where you think, I can't, I can't take anything more. There's always something more to learn. There's always something more to understand of who God is. And so our joy can grow and grow and grow eternally. Now Mary says, I rejoice in God, my Saviour. Sometimes when we preach the gospel, we can focus too much on individual salvation, actually. We can forget the corporate nature of the church and the fact we're saved into a community. That's part of the gospel message that we've brought into the church. We have relationships with other Christians. 
Uh, and so there's there's been this movement within within churches recently to talk about more about the corporate and the community into which we're saved. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing that we recognise that we're not meant to be isolated Christians in a sense. We're meant to be in community. But sometimes with that shift in emphasis, we can swing too far the other way. And it's amazing to see Mary here. I rejoice in God, my Saviour. Jesus Christ is a personal Saviour. He saves you into community, but he saves individuals. And I wonder whether you this morning can speak of God being your personal Saviour. Never lose sight of that. That Jesus, when he died on the cross, he was dying for the church, but he was also dying for the individuals who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. And that means on the cross he was dying for you if you're a Christian. He, he is your personal saviour. You can say, God is my saviour. Jesus is my saviour. It is a corporate communal thing that we all enjoy together. It's also a deeply, deeply personal thing. That my sin have been forgiven. My sin was carried by Jesus Christ on the cross. He, he rose from the grave in order to make a way that I might follow him into eternal life. He, he is the saviour of the church, yes but he's also your saviour. And if you're not a believer, he can be your saviour this morning. Receive this gift. Accept Jesus as your personal saviour today. Receive forgiveness. Receive freedom from guilt. Receive freedom from shame. Enter into the everlasting life that Jesus Christ has won for you. He, He saves us, but he also saves you. He also saves me. Do not delay in receiving this glorious gift which Jesus has offered to us. Christians rejoice that Christ loves you so much that he died for you. And so we can say with Mary, I rejoice, my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. It's a source of great joy throughout every season of my life that God is my Saviour, my Saviour, your Saviour. This Advent, let us therefore magnify the Lord in our souls and rejoice in God our Saviour. Now the rest of Mary's song is all about what God has done. The reason she can magnify the Lord, the reason she rejoices in God her Saviour is because of all the great things that God has done. In verse 48, God looks upon Mary's humility. In verse 49, it says God has, he has done great things. In verse 50, he has been merciful upon those who fear him. In verse 51, God has shown great strength. And in verse 51, God has scattered the proud. In verse 52, he brings down the mighty and he exalts the humble. In verse 53, he fills the hungry and he sends away the rich. In verse 54, God helped Israel. And in verse 55, God spoke to Israel's fathers, Abraham and the others. This is a song all about what God has done. He is the star of this song. And it's amazing to meditate on how God has acted in creation. How God is so involved 
with the world which he has made. He has acted in creation. And one of the ways, one of the primary ways we magnify the Lord in our lives is by thinking about all the great things he has done. In the Bible, there's so many great stories. And so when you read the Bible, it should lead you to magnify the Lord because you read about the great things God has done. You say, yes, God, you have done this. It's amazing. But also in our lives, in our experience. Have you got testimonies? I hope you have testimonies of the great things that God has done for you. Not least that he has saved you. He has rescued you. Think about your life before you accepted Jesus. The direction you were headed. The eternal destination that you had before you. And God reached into your life and revealed the truth of Jesus Christ. And raised you into true salvation. God has done great things. Let us magnify him for all the great things he has done. A good application of this sermon would be to go away and just to make lists and lists and lists of all the great things God has done in Scripture and in your lives and in the lives of other saints. I love reading Christian biographies and reading about the great things God has done in others' lives as well. But what is particularly clear in these verses, what comes out very strongly in Mary's song, is that there are two categories of people that God is dealing with. And he deals with the two categories of people in different ways. One group of people is the proud, the mighty, and the rich. And one group of people in this song is the humble and the hungry. And you can see that God scatters the proud. He brings down those who are mighty, and he exalts the humble. Proverbs 3, verse 34 it's quoted twice in the New Testament in James 4.6 and 1 Peter 5.5. 5, says this, God op- opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And this idea is very clear in this song, isn't it? Mary is, is rejoicing that she herself, though humble, has been exalted by God into this amazing place where we speak of her today and, and bless her today in a sense. Let's first think about the the proud. So look at verses 51 and 52. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. There are people who are proud. And that pride is expressed in the thoughts of their hearts. That means that pride can sometimes be subtle. Other people might not see your pride because it's a thought first in your heart. Now, some people are less subtle and, they, and that, those thoughts come out in boasts and, and showing off. But there are people who are proud in the thoughts of their hearts. In fact, I think every single one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, can recognize proud thoughts that we have had in our hearts. There is a, there is a pride sometimes in our lives. I must confess, um, one of the prayers I pray most often is, Lord, humble me. And the reason I pray that prayer is because I struggle with pride. I remember when I was growing up, um, as a kid, my parents used to tell me all the time, Duncan, you're always boasting. And that, like, that was just, this is just something that I have struggled with throughout my life. I must, I must have been a horrible kid, I imagine. Um, 
uh, and so my parents would point this out to me over and over again, and, and so I've become very, I mean, I still fall into this trap, but I've I become very self-conscious about it, and as I've grown, I've really prayed that God would humble me. Uh, perhaps it's two sides of a coin that some people struggle with ang- anxiety and worry and think that they're not good enough and, and they don't know what they can do. I mean, that's kind of a form of pride as well. It's not relying on God. It's saying, I need to get through this, but I'm not quite good enough. And then on the other side of the coin, there's, there's, there's people who really struggle with pride and boasting and I'm doing great. Life's going really good for me. I must be fantastic. I must be doing really well. I wonder where you fall on that spectrum, perhaps. And and so I've taken to praying this prayer, Lord, humble me. It's a dangerous prayer to pray, by the way. I'd invite you to pray the same prayer. God loves the humble, exalts the humble, and he scatters the proud in this song. So why don't you pray, Lord, humble me? But that's dangerous because God uses difficult circumstances in our lives to humble us. He takes away things that we, we were proud of and, and it brings an emptiness in order that we would be humbled and seek God and receive the fullness of God in those moments. Pride can be obvious, boasting publicly, but it can also be subtle. Lack of prayer it is a symptom of pride. If you, if you have pride, you don't pray. You think, I can get through today without God. And you don't think, I need to go to God. Martin Luther says, uh, Martin Luther was an amazing um, Christian theologian who changed the world um, as he read scripture and understood it. And one of the things he used to do is pray for two, three hours every morning. And he used to say, I'm too busy not to pray. I'm too busy not to pray. He understood that the things that he had to achieve during the day were dependent upon his prayer. It was God who would do great things through him. It wasn't him just going about his day immediately to get things done. It was him saying, I need to pray. I need to rely on God. That's a very humble attitude. And if you're not humble, you won't pray because you think, I don't need God. I can do this without him. That's a subtle way that um, pride can um, reveal itself. I also say this, quiet self-reliance is a form of pride as well. Quiet self-reliance. And I don't think this is just a problem for men, but often it is a problem that men don't share their problems and don't ask for help. They can be very reluctant to do that in our culture. And that is pride. That's pride. And so I think if we're honest with ourselves, every single one of us can say, actually, there is pride in my life. Let's pray. Lord, humble us. Make us humble. Let's be honest and call out pride in our own lives. Let's look at how God treats the proud in this song. He scatters them. He brings them down. He sends them away. And let that motivate us to pray this prayer. May God humble us. May he break pride in our church and in our lives. May he destroy it in our lives now, right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, the humble are exalted. Verse 52. Mary has been looked on favourably because she is humble, verse 48. And the nation Israel received the Lord's help in verse 54. And one of the themes of the Old Testament is the fact that Israel was quite a, hum- a small nation, a, a weak nation, and, and so it's God helping. He's, he doesn't choose the Egypt, this great nation. He chooses Israel, the humble, to raise up and help, verse 54. Let's reflect on what this tells us about God himself. He breaks the mighty and helps the weak. He brings down the the proud and exalts the humble. I love this about our God. I love this about our God. He he longs to gather the weak and the broken and those who think humbly of 
themselves. And I pray that's what we'd see in our church. May we gather the poor in Pharaoh, the weak, the ones who need help, for they are the ones, the people that God loves to exalt, the humble, the needy, that the downtrodden in the world, in order that in God they might find glory and joy and love. God doesn't need the cleverest and most powerful people of this town. In fact, it brings God more glory to choose the weak and the poor. I mean, this is why we're here, isn't it? God has chosen the foolish things of the world in order to bring glory to himself. God is shown to be compassionate in choosing the humble, and he receives more glory as he builds the church by raising up those who are humble and weak. Uh, So I think this says something amazing about God. He exalts the humble and breaks down the proud. I, I love that. I love God's character. Secondly, this song does challenge us and call us to be humble. And the question is how? How can we, other than just praying, which is a really helpful thing to do, how can we become more humble in our lives? I think the answer is in verse 46 and the start of the song. If you want to be a humble person, magnify the Lord. If you spend time meditating on the greatness of God and declaring his greatness in worship in a heartfelt and spiritual way, you will be humbled. When when you see God and his perfection, his holiness, his his power, you cannot but think less of yourself. You realise your own sinfulness in the presence of God. You also realise that you are weak and powerless without God. And so you see his, his brilliance and you think more about him than you think about yourself. That's true humility, to think about others, to think about God more than you think about yourself. So if you want to be humble, magnify the Lord. That's a way to humble yourself, to see the greatness of God. I don't know whether you ever got into a car on a sunny, uh, sunny morning to drive, and you, you, you've seen, you thought that the windscreen was clean, and you've, you've set off, and you've gone on a drive, and then you've turned a corner, and suddenly light has shone onto your windscreen, and you realise that your windscreen is absolutely filthy dirty, and you cannot see a thing out of your car window. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. I remember one such occasion where I literally had to lower the window and stick my head out, because my car windscreen was so dirty, and I thought I would probably stop, but I was in a rush. So, um, but, so the awful experience of not being able to see out the front. Well, that's what it's like when we encounter God. When the light of the greatness of God shines upon your life, you you see your sinfulness, you see your dirt, you you see the things wrong that you are carrying. And the great thing is that as the light of Christ shines, you realize that Christ is the source of forgiveness and you trust in him and he brings the cleaning. And so this is true. When we magnify God, we humble ourselves. As we magnify God, we rejoice and we find greater humility. It's not a miserable humility. It's a joy-filled humility. I'm realising that I need God's salvation. I need his forgiveness. I need to cry out to Jesus for forgiveness. I'm realising that I'm weak and I need God to strengthen me. And yet that is a joyful thing because God is a God of love and a God of power. He has more than enough strength to help me and see me through what is before me. He has more than enough mercy to forgive me. And so it is a humility but a joyful Humility. Joyful, humble people are the kind of people that I want to be friends with and the kind of people that I want to be, this church to be filled with. It's the kind of person that I want to be. I want to be a joyful, humble person. 
and Mary reveals through this amazing song how magnifying God, being a worshipper, helps us find that place of joy and find that place of humility. So this Advent, during the month of December, let's be worshippers. Let's magnify the Lord in our souls. Let's rejoice in God, our Saviour, in our spirits. And let's be humble. Let's be humbled in that worship, in that moment of bowing and, and lifting up God. Let's humble ourselves. I really think God wants, by the power of the Holy Spirit, wants to bring a moment of conviction upon us as a church, perhaps as individuals actually now, by the power of the Holy Spirit. How much time are you giving to worship and magnifying the Lord in your life? Are you making this a priority of your time? Are you making this the first thing you do? Are you, I mean, I'm not, maybe we can't quite match Martin Luther in giving two, three hours to prayer, but are we setting aside time and saying, I'm going to magnify the Lord? And actually, I'm not, when I set aside time to pray, I'm not just listing the things that I want to happen and bring my request. I'm setting aside specifically to declare the greatness of God, to magnify him in my heart and mind. Is the Holy Spirit just bringing that moment of conviction on your heart that you need to, you need to go home and say, right, here's, here's time. This is the time I'm going to give to magnifying God at home. Because he is glorious, isn't he? He is powerful, isn't he? He is loving, isn't he? He is magnificent. He, he, as I say, our vision of him is far too small. And there's greatness and glory to be found in God. Do you think much of how great God is? For he is truly magnificent. He, is, he, he deserves to be magnified in our lives. I want to know his greatness in my soul. I want to... I want to rejoice in him, my saviour, in my spirit, and I want to be humble. And so I do pray for myself and for us as a church that we might spend this time of Advent worshipping, together as the church, but also by ourselves as well. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord, our souls magnify you now. Teach us of your greatness. Teach us of your goodness. Teach us of the depths of your love. Teach us of your magnificent power. May we understand more who you are and how big you are. Lord, give us joy. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you come and grant us joy in this moment? But would our joy particularly be placed in God and the fact that God is our Saviour? Lord, thank you that you have saved us. For all who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, you are their Saviour. You have rescued them from sin and death into forgiveness and eternal life. And so we say thank you, God our Saviour. We rejoice. We're joy-filled because of how you have rescued us. And Lord, I pray you would humble us. I pray again, break pride in our midst. Break pride in our hearts. Lord, we confess that we have been proud and we are sorry. Would you forgive us? And would you transform us that you would make us humble people? Not not timid people, Lord, but we would know that with your strength and the power of your spirit, we can do great things. But Lord, I pray we'd be humble and we'd see that anything that we've achieved in the past was you helping us. And anything that we'd go on to do in the future is you, Lord, moving mightily in our lives. I pray, Heavenly Father, May we be humble people. May we be joy-filled people. May we be people who magnify and glorify you each and every second of the day, but also find particular times set apart to magnify you in speech and in song, to glorify you and lift you high. For you have done great things in each of our lives. You have done great things in the world, but you have done great things for each of us as well, Lord. 
and we praise you and glorify you and magnify you for who you are and all the wonderful things that you have done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.